Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Ian Fisher, your host for today. The Super Bowl is over. The groundhog has not seen his shadow and predicted an early spring. And we are smack in the middle of the second month of the year, wondering where exactly January has gone. Last week's show was really, really fun for all of us. We had Sally, Beth, me, and Shannon Vasconcelos on the show, and we got to talk about stories. It was our five-year anniversary episode, a great time for us to get together and sort of discuss some of the experiences that we've had as admissions officers and college counselors and financial aid counselors. So if you have an opportunity to go back and listen to last week's episode, I would highly recommend it. We certainly had a lot of fun recording it um, and, and hope you have a, a lot of fun listening to it. Uh, for today, we've got a great show. We're, we're focusing specifically on 11th graders who are beginning to ramp up their college research and application process. So we're going to count down the top five things juniors should be doing right now for both admissions and financial aid. That's coming a little bit later in the show. Of course, one of the things that juniors are likely focused on at this moment is standardized testing. And with an ACT just last weekend and an SAT coming up in early March, families are undoubtedly interested in ensuring that their students are as prepared as possible to do their very best. My first guest today is the first guest I had last time I was the host of the show, the Managing Director of Operations for our longtime partner, Arbor Bridge. And she's an expert on almost everything that touches standardized testing. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Megan Stubendeck. Thanks so much, Ian. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. And what we wanted to talk about for today was, you know, there are a lot of really great test prep options out there. Arbor Bridge, of course, is one that provides great, great tutoring. Uh, there are classes, um, but there are also some free options. Um, and I think free is just sounds great uh, to everyone. Um, and so we thought we'd have you on to talk a little bit about ways that students can prepare themselves for standardized testing without dropping any money into the pot. Um, first of all, just in general, uh, before we get into those options, why is it that students should do any kind of prep uh, for testing? Is, the, is there a reason not to just show up and take it cold and see how it goes? Uh, well, the big one is obviously this is a major part of the college application process and these scores matter. And just like you wouldn't go into your final exam for chemistry completely cold, you don't want to go because that, you know, that score is going to somehow show up on your record when you do apply to college. You want to have the same sort of uh, energy and approach to standardized tests. And I think the other big reason is, is that, um, you know, over the last couple of years in particular, uh, many students have figured out and parents are figuring this out and admissions people are figuring this out is that these tests are just an innate study and, and calibration of how smart you just were born. It's not an IQ test. They are content-based exams that really mm-hmm. test how much you have learned, how much you have practiced, um, and how good you are at 
accessing all that information that you've learned in school. So uh, you can access that information faster uh, with more accuracy if you've studied how the exam is set up, um, much in the way that chemistry final that you uh, would have studied for as well. Um, it just gets easier, um, and you do better, and you can really perform at your highest level if you've done some practice and some, uh, and some preparation. Yeah, I love that that sort of key idea that this is a content-based exam. I, I had the misconception when I was a high school junior that this was an aptitude test, and it's just a matter of showing up and seeing how you do, and, and that's it. That's the score that you get. But it is content-based, and so there is really good reason to prepare. So let's talk a little bit about some of those free options that are out there. What, what are the free options that uh, maybe our listeners have heard of, maybe they haven't? Uh, which ones do you sort of keep in your back pocket? Yeah, there's really sort of two buckets they fall in. Um, one is a whole series of a new generation of online resources that students can tap into, families can tap into. And there's a second bucket of community resources, things that are more tangible, that are sort of in your school or in the community in which you live. And so I'll tackle that first bucket first because it's newer um, and sort of has gotten a lot of the attention in the last couple of years. And that's that online um, option that you can go for. And when it comes to online, uh, the probably the easiest way to think about it is to think about SAT versus ACT because the resources are pretty different for the two. Uh, SAT, uh, the College Board, which writes the SAT, has a partnership with Khan Academy, which is a really popular site that I'm sure 90% of students out there have actually used at some point in their academic careers to watch a video about how to solve a right triangle problem or uh, understand a chemistry experiment or learn something about U.S. history. Um, it's an online site that's free that has videos that, and tutorials, short video tutorials for academic content. And they partnered with the College Board to create an entire section of their site that is just focused on the SAT. Uh, so that's Khan Academy, K-H-A-N Academy. And anyone can sign up for um, an account on there. Parents out there, if you, if you really want to see what the SAT is all about, that's a great place. You can make your own <laughs> account if you'd like. Um, and Khan Academy is actually pretty strong. I would say as a test prep expert, who's done a lot of the stuff on Khan Academy. Um, there are good strategies. Um, math in particular, it's really strong for. They've got great videos. That's how Khan Academy actually got started is math tutorials. Um, right. It's definitely their strength. Reading is a little is a little bit less um, about strategy, and it's sort of you watch videos of somebody reading a passage and sort of talking through the passage. So it may not be super helpful if you're looking for reading hardcore strategies, um, but it has lots of practice tests, lots of practice material, um, and on the site itself, it actually and this is the second part of any good test prep is not just learning strategies, but having practice tests that you can take, full-length ones. And there right. are eight free ones on the Khan Academy site that you can print out if you want to and take um, for practice along the way. Uh, if you don't want to waste a lot of paper and print it out yourself, you can if you want to spend a few extra dollars. Uh, for 20 bucks, you can buy the official uh, SAT study guide. It's a big blue book. Um, it's in every bookstore in America. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can buy that for $20 and have all those tests already printed out for you. But uh, it's a it's a great resource for, for many students for SAT. Now, on the flip side, we've got ACT. And ACT sort of answered the call when Khan Academy and College Board released the SAT practice site, and they created something called for the ACT called ACT Academy. I am going to be really honest. It's not a really good resource. Um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a test prep, but uh, I would recommend if you're out there and you're thinking of doing just free test prep, 
to go with the SAT over the ACT. And the reason I say that is the ACT Academy site doesn't really have a lot of practice. There's only about two practice tests available. And once you use one of them to calibrate the system when you get started, sort of answers some questions and it figures out what levels you are in math and reading and gives you videos um, for your specific level, uh, you've pretty much used half the material right before you even start the system. So there isn't a lot to practice with once you get further in. The other thing I would say about ACT Academy is that how it was built is uh, ACT decided to use uh, machine learning, a computer algorithm that trolls the Internet, mostly YouTube videos, for things that have been tagged for concepts of the ACT test. So this isn't specific material for the ACT. You might watch a video for 20 minutes and 5 to 20 seconds of it has anything to do with the ACT um, or has any content implications for you. So it can be a, a hard system for somebody to use and really feel like they're making progress on the exam. So just generally, all of us in test prep and everyone who's used it kind of say, stay away from ACT Academy if you can. Um, go with SAT if you're going to pick a, a self-prep-free online option. So that's gotcha. kind of the online options. When it comes to the community, there's a couple of others. Uh, your library. Libraries are great places. They have review books that you can, uh, you know, Barron's, Kaplan, Princeton Review, McGraw-Hill, all of the old ones, the ones that you see in, at your bookstore, you can get for free at your public library. Public libraries often also do after-school uh, after study sessions for students that they can get free tutoring at. Um, and the same thing happens at uh, high schools, too. Check with your school. What are they doing on campus? They may do something in your English class or have a tutoring session after school that you can access for free. So there are tons of free options that are actually pretty, pretty great out there. That's great. You know, you know, one of the things, Megan, that, um, that you all do at Arbor Bridge that I really like is you talk about different kinds of students and when testing might be appropriate for them, what kind of prep might fit them, um, you know, whether they're high testers or low testers, athletes, et cetera. Um, who does this kind of free test prep work best for? I imagine it works well for everybody in different doses, but who can benefit the most from the use of free test prep resources? Yeah, and you're exactly right. There's, it's, uh, you know, a case by case basis and pretty much everybody can get something out of self prep, um, and this, these free resources that are out there. Um, I would say the people who tend to find the most success with this, especially if they're doing Khan Academy or ACT Academy or moving through review books that they get at their public library are students who are first highly motivated, who like the challenge, who, uh, you know, don't get discouraged. They are, excited, if you can be excited about test prep. Um, second type of student is a student who's a really good planner because they're not going to have a tutor or a teacher every step of the way to tell them, okay, now you need to go to this unit. Now you need to take your practice test. So someone who can sit down with a calendar and plan out the couple of months leading up to their exam and know exactly what they want to do when they want to do it. And I would say the third type of student who does pretty well with this is a student who is sort of a resourceful problem solver, somebody who either has access to people who can help them if they hit a stumbling block, maybe the teacher at school, um, or they know where to go when they do have an issue. Maybe they know that the test prep book they want to go to, or they um, know uh, resources online they can, that they can go to, and they, don't, they aren't discouraged by that challenge if they do hit that obstacle. I think the there are sort of two types of students I would say may find it a little bit more of a struggle to do the free uh, sort of self-prep options. One is a student who might have a lot of test anxiety, uh, and that's really because, uh, you know, plugging away alone 
on a Khan Academy website or uh, whatever free resources you're using, it might be a little bit more stressful and a little bit more intimidating. And those students sometimes do need a cheerleader along the way. Uh, and the second type I would say is that some of these uh, new resources aren't really geared towards all the entire variety of students with learning disabilities. Um, and I'm not making a blanket statement that if you have a learning disability or learning difference, you can't use these sites. In fact, many students do successfully use them, but there are certain learning differences or learning disabilities that may not be accommodated for um, through these resources. So you'd want to really investigate um, if they do so. That's great. And and I think that, you know, sort of thinking about this plan, it, it does raise the question of, well, what about the planning side of this approach? If you're a student who's doing free test prep, you know, one of the advantages of, of showing up with a tutor is that the tutor just says, do this, do this, do this, right? It gives out homework, make sure that you have a schedule, everything is regimented pretty clearly. Um, but if you're getting started um, as a student on your own with free prep resources, um, what can you do to sort of outline a, a, a schedule or approach that's going to work well for you? So the, when you're sitting down and you're doing self-prep and you have to think of a plan, normally what I suggest for students is think of it in terms of a three-month plan leading up to your first official test. Uh, at that three-month-out moment, sit down and first get all your resources together. If you're going to do Khan Academy, set up your account. Link it to your official PSAT results or your official SAT if you've already taken the test once uh, through Khan Academy and the College Board. Get your other materials together. Maybe figure out those practice test books that are available at your library. Get your calculator. All of that stuff sort of in one place. And then take a diagnostic to calibrate the systems or if you're doing Khan Academy or ACT Academy uh, or sort of you get a sense of where you're starting from. Um, that's really what you do at that three-month-out point. Then what you sort of look at is you pull out your calendar and think about, okay, when can I take practice tests? And I generally recommend student plan to take about three full practice tests at three different points, sort of evenly spaced uh, between when they start their prep and when their official test is. So put those in the calendar, work them around your um, play schedule or your uh, soccer schedule or whatever um, you have going on in your life. And then the final stage of it is then to look at the weeks that you have when uh, between that start date and your official test and plan, you know what, I'm going to need to set aside two to three hours to work in the systems that I've picked, whether it's a review book from the library, um, whether it's uh, that online system. Figure you're going to do about two to three hours a week of learning and practice along the way and pick a day, couple of days each week you're going to do it. Maybe it's every Monday and every Wednesday afternoon or maybe it's all on Sunday uh, because you have more time then. That's a good schedule to start with um, and move along. One thing to keep in mind, though, too, is that the Khan Academy system actually calibrates for you. It will suggest some of these uh, deadlines and dates for you. So it can help you along the way, which is, is a nice feature of that system. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, we have about two minutes. I wanted to ask one final question, which is a lot of families are thinking about maybe they're going to do tutoring. They might do a class, but they want to find the most cost-effective approach to do that. And so they might start with free test prep options and then move into something that costs a little bit of money. So, But on the whole, the cost is a little bit lower. How do students sort of think about integrating a free test prep option with uh, a paid tutoring or, or a course approach? Uh, yeah, it's absolutely a great way to mitigate the cost um, using those uh, options together. And I would say there are a couple, just sort of, couple of warnings that I would say and just thinking about that plan. The first is um, 
If you are, if you know you're working with a tutor or having a teacher that you're paying for and you're doing self-prep, be upfront about it. Let them know that you're doing that. They'll help you identify the things that you could do on your own and then also make sure that in their tutoring, they're not wasting your time or money teaching you things that you're just going to do with your self-prep. So don't be afraid. They're not going to look down on you or be offended that you're using self-prep as well. It's very common. The second thing I would say is that For many students, it actually works best to do a little bit of paid prep first to get the foundations under control. Then they do a longer period of self-prep. Maybe even their tutor gave them guidance of, here's what I want you to do for the next six weeks. Go do it, and then we'll recheck back in a week or two before your exam just to uh, fine-tune the last little bit of things. So that's another uh, great thing to keep them sort of in your back pocket. And then the the last thing I would say is maybe you want to try self-prep all the way and see how far you can go. That's great. If you do that, just use each practice test or official exam as an evaluation point. Am I getting where I need to go? What do I see Neil need help with? Am I okay with just self-prepping? Great. I think that that's uh, just a fantastic introduction to this kind of option. Megan, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today and, and sharing all these resources with our families. Great. Thanks for having me. It really helped. You got it. Now, if you're interested in learning more about Arbor Bridge, I'll say again that you can visit arborbridge.com and and let them know that you heard about uh, Arbor Bridge on the radio show with Megan in the end today. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back right after this to talk about the top five things juniors should be doing now. Don't go away. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, before we get into our next segment, I want to take a moment to remind listeners about a contest we're running in celebration of the fifth anniversary of our podcast. Remember, we had that fifth anniversary show last week. And until February 25th, every listener who reviews us on Apple Podcasts will be entered into a raffle to win two free hours of college counseling with our eponymous host and the former Penn admission officer, Elizabeth Heaton. I don't know why counseling with me isn't the prize. Wouldn't that be good too? Uh, no, that's great. Um, all you have to do is leave a review and you'll be automatically entered. Uh, we love five-star reviews. That's not in the copy that's been provided here, but we do love five-star reviews. That doesn't make us more likely to choose you, but it does help other families to find us because podcasts that are reviewed higher are podcasts that are more likely to be found by people who are searching for college admissions advice. Um, so we're randomly going to select a winner, somebody who leaves us a review sometime before February 25th, and we will announce the name of the winner on March 5th. So uh, you'll want to listen for that. All right. My next guest is my colleague, Lauren Prospero, who's had a lot of experience in college admissions, uh, Columbia, Stanford University. Uh, she's coming to us out from the East Coast today. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, Ian. Great to be here. And we are, so juniors are now starting to think about this stuff. Uh, they are actively engaged in the admission process, maybe for the first time. Um, and we, you mm -hmm. actually pulled the team and started thinking about what are some of the things that are really important, the top five things for juniors to be doing right now to get ready for the application process. So let's just do David Letterman style. We'll count it on down and we'll talk about each of these. Um, so what is the fifth, number five of the top five things juniors should be doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think number five is organized, right? This is the start of your process and a really great time to be thinking about how to organize this process. Um, one of the things that I always recommend for my students is to start a research spreadsheet. I'm a big fan of Excel. I'm not very good at it, but I can do it for the purposes of organization, <laughs> right? Um, maybe creating two tabs, one that organizes that research about the school for the things that are important to you, like majors or resources, clubs, distance from home, and then one that focuses on the very important but maybe kind of boring things like application requirements and deadlines. Um, you know, those things could change for next year, but I think that they're really important to be seeing what colleges are doing now to see what do you have to do in the coming months to meet their application requirements. And and part of the reason that we put organize for the reason we put it fifth is because it really is the first thing to be doing. I mean, it, it's it's important to sort of sit mm -hmm. down and map this thing out, because if you don't do that first, I think a lot of the other things that you might want to focus on are unlikely to come to fruition. Right. So some some planning yeah. ahead of time can really, really be helpful uh, for students. Yeah. All right. What is the number four of the top five things juniors should be doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think they should be creating an activity spreadsheet um, or a resume of some sort that helps you track your activities that you've been involved with in high school um, and should include dates that you've been involved, um, description of your participation in those activities. Um, and I also do very much recommend going over this with your family, maybe even your friends, because I've been in so many conversations where I'm asking a family about how their student is involved in their school and community and both 
you know, parent and child might be involved in that conversation, um, but they're kind of talking through all of those different things. And one might say, yep, that's all. That's all I've done. And then the other one chimes in with saying, oh, well, you forgot that you did this. And, you know, that happens to me, too. Sometimes I forget things that I'm involved in, even if they're important, as you're trying to list it out. And by doing this now, it gives you time to think about everything you've been involved in, to reflect on your successes um, and what you've accomplished, and also to give you time to remember maybe some of the things that you didn't realize that you had when you sat down just to write it out, right? You don't want to be doing this right when you're submitting your applications. Doing it ahead of time can really help you. Um, and you can certainly create a Common App login and see how the different uh, categories that Common App has, and that can help guide you because most application platforms are going to be similar to see what do I have to actually be thinking about for the purposes of applications. It, it sounds um, kind of ridiculous to say that students forget the things that they do, but they absolutely forget the things mm -hmm. that they do outside of the classroom. I, I was talking to a student just last week, and I said, all right, well, tell me a little bit about uh, your involvement. And she's like, well, I, I don't really do anything. And I said, well, what do, you, what, mm -hmm. what do you do for fun? What do you do when you have some free time? She's like, well, I, I play on the basketball team. I'm like, well, they're, they're, that's one thing. That's, <laughs> that's something you're involved in. Yeah. You go to practice. You've got games. Uh, what else? Is there anything else that you do, like with your friends? Maybe just uh, you know when you're when you're having when you're got free time. She's like, oh yeah, I, I'm at a youth group at church, uh, and and we do community mm -hmm. service together. So well, that's another thing, right? So you know, I think yeah. sometimes when students think about their extracurricular activities, they get so narrowly focused on clubs at school, um, clubs mm -hmm. that have presidents and vice presidents and treasurers. And like, well, I don't do any of those things. So I don't have any involvement. And that's just not true. So right. really cast yeah. a wide net. Think about all the things that you do um, inside, uh, outside of the classroom, whether that's at home or within your community or at your school, um, and, and get those things out on paper. Yeah. And I think, you know, creating that Common App account, they have different categories for you to choose when you choose your activities. And that can even be a great way to trigger something in your brain that, oh, I did hold that job or I was in that youth group. And that does count um, because I think sometimes families also don't realize the, how much is involved in what is included in activities. Exactly. I think that's right. All right. Let's move to number three. What is number three in the top mm -hmm. five things for juniors to be doing right now? Yeah, I think it's time to start thinking about letters of recommendation. Um, you know, I'm sure we've said many times on this podcast that those letters will be coming from academic junior year teachers. Um, and so I think it's, you know, you're not going to be asking for those until the end of the year, but it's really important to be aware of how important those relationships are so that you can make that a positive impression on your teachers now, right? Asking for help if you need it, raising your hand, making sure your teachers know who you are. You know, you don't have to go above and beyond, but just knowing that these are teachers who are important in this process and to start thinking about who might be able to be an advocate for you. Um, thinking about, um, you know, typically one to two and, and where you apply is going to determine how many, possibly even the types of teachers that, that you're asking. But I think giving it some thought and being cognizant of those relationships now is really important um, because you still have a couple of months until, um, until you have to ask them so you can still make that positive impression. But just knowing that that deadline is coming up to, to ask them. And by deadline, I mean artificial deadline. <laughs> right, <laughs> Appreciated right. by teachers <laughs> to maybe have the summer to write that, to have enough time to write that. So that's an artificial deadline. But I think, you know, knowing that you're going to be asking for those at the end of the year is important. 
Right. Deadlines that counselors like us impose on students to make sure that yeah. they are giving their teachers proper lead time. Um, exactly. I also think that, you know, 11th grade, almost everybody has heard that 11th grade is the most important year. Uh, parents know this. Students know this. They don't, they don't always know exactly why we say that. But, it, you know, the academic record from the 11th year matters. The courses are really challenging. The letters of recommendation come from 11th grade. And so, you can put yourself in a really strong position for your application by having a great 11th grade. And I think that considering the fact that letters of recommendation are connected to this year's performance can be a nice motivator for a student to really do well in all of their classes across the academic spectrum. If you think, all right, I've got to show up every day on time, ask good questions, participate, collaborate with my peers because it matters to the letter of recommendation. Well, guess what? That's also going to help to positively impact your grade. Those things are really, really critical. So, you know, it's not something that you have to feel like you're doing anything extra. It's just about really bringing your whole self to school every day and making sure that you're giving it that full commitment. Um, all right, so that's five, four, three. We're down to number two. What's the number two thing mm -hmm. for juniors to be thinking about right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's time to plan out um, when you're going to take the SAT or the ACT and to register for those tests. Um, you know, I think it's thinking about um, the next eight months or so and saying, you know, when can I be taking these tests? When are my midterms? When are my finals? If I'm taking AP exams, um, you know, am I taking a, a um, am I on a sports team? Right, identifying those big stressors and trying to plan around them um, for the dates for the SAT or the ACT. Those are available now through, I think, the summer. Um, so definitely take a look at them, figure out what works best for you, um, and register for those tests and get a, a testing plan in place so that you are ready for them when they come. I just spoke with one of my juniors yesterday in the afternoon. We looked at the registration deadline for the SAT in March. It is tomorrow. So we're uh, airing this on February 13th. On February 14th is the deadline to register for the March SAT. So that's one of those things that you want to be completely aware of is how do these different registration dates play out? What's the late registration deadline? Can I change my registration, et cetera? So you really want to mm -hmm. think uh, far in advance about what your plan for the SAT is in terms of its official dates. And then referring back to, you know, that segment that we had with Megan, um, you know, all of the things that you can do around test prep, whether that's free test prep or tutoring or classes, those are connected to your schedule as well. Um, and, and sort of mm -hmm. filling in the blanks as you go is really helpful. Um, Lauren, do you have a thought um, on when students should be finished with their testing? Is it is the answer different for every student? Do you have a general guideline that you're giving to juniors at this point? What what is your thinking on yeah. um, you know when when to be done with it all? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends upon the student. I know it depends as always our our response. Um, I mean, generally, I would encourage students to be done by about August, but certainly there are a variety of reasons why a student might still be testing into the fall. You know, maybe they're later to the process, maybe their schedule is such that, you know, they don't have access to some of the summer tests because they are going to be a camp counselor or, um, you know, just, you know, I have a, a student who's uh, a high-level um figure skater. And so, you know, finding the time to get those tests in, you know, 
if that student has to go into an October test, the November test, um, you know, and that works for the schools that she's applying to, you know, that's certainly possible. Um, but you also have to look at what your testing plan is and if you are, sorry, your um, application plan is, because if you're going to be applying early, right, you can't really take the, the November or December test. Um, so it just really depends right. upon the student um, and identifying those few test dates that work well for you, because if they work well for you, then you're likely going to do better on those tests, and that's just going to benefit um, your application process. Yeah, and, and it, you know, the testing question is a big variable. I think you're probably running into this now. I'm running into it with my juniors is, you know, we want to get started on making a college list, but some of them might not have taken that official SAT or ACT just yet. And so it's hard to say, uh, you know, with any sort of certainty where their profile is going to land them and how competitive they're going to be for those schools that still do require standardized tests. So there is an advantage to having information earlier in the process. If you know what your scores are, you have a sense for how competitive you're going to be in different spaces. Uh, And I I think that that's really helpful in terms of advancing the conversation, which is a great transition into number one. What's the number one thing? for juniors to be doing right now? I mean, the number one thing is to start talking about college as a family. Um, start discussing what's important to you. Um, and that might be different between parent and student. Um, but it could be things like distance from home, financial fit, what is the purpose of a college education, and any of those other things that fit with your family values that you think need to be discussed now. It's better to discuss them sooner rather than later as you start building that list to be on the same page, right? What are some of those deal breakers or what are some of those must-haves? I also think it's a great opportunity to go visit some local colleges, you know, to build that vocabulary of what you like or what you don't like, um, you know, so that if you do go and do a larger college tour that you have a sense of what colleges um, look like, right? Those big versus small, urban, rural, research, liberal arts. Um, It can give you the vocabulary and also give you a good launching pad for those conversations because maybe you don't know what you need to be discussing until you've seen that, right? And those schools don't have to be schools that you really want to attend. They can just be, um, you know, examples of schools that you might be looking at further afield. Um, And I think it's just, it's really, really important to be discussing as a family and don't assume that everybody is on the same page and have those hard conversations now. So you're not, you know, having them when you're facing down deadlines or after you've even applied. Yeah, I think, and I, I, talking about college as a family, I think one of the important ways to remember this is it's not sort of, you know, the student comes home from school and you say, hey, we need to start talking about college. And having that sort of conversation over and over or in bits and pieces along the way, I would really strongly recommend sitting down over, you know, a weekend time, maybe go get a cup of coffee, have breakfast, whatever it is, and spend an hour, hour and a half actually talking through these things. Give your student a warning that this conversation is going to happen. Maybe they have some homework that they can bring to that conversation to discuss you don't want to string out what can be a conversation that's really open and interesting and engaging across multiple small snippets for many, many weeks. But you really want to sit down and look eye to eye and, and get on the same page on some of this stuff. And I think that that is yeah. a great way for families to launch into this process with some clarity. And there could be disagreement, of course, but you want to be in a position where you're sort of understanding the perspective of both the student who is driving this process and the parents who are supporting it. 
Yeah, and I think it's important to be aware that that conversation will evolve over time as you're getting further along in this process. Some of those core things might continue to be the same, but your student might start with, well, I don't know. I don't know. Right. But it's opening that dialogue and starting to lay the foundation for everything that we just talked about and things to come. Um, And so certainly I I think it's great to plan that that big time to have the conversation and then be open to when your student starts bringing it up and you start bringing up and becomes a little bit more natural um, within the course of things. Absolutely. So that is your top five things to be doing right now as a junior. That doesn't mean you have to do them literally the second, but let's get organized. Let's create that activity spreadsheet. Start uh, thinking about letters of recommendation, plan out and register for your standardized tests, and then talk about college as a family. That's going to get you off on a great start. Lauren, I want to thank you so much for helping to organize this segment today and then also coming to share your great perspective. Thanks for having me, Ian. You got it. All right, folks, when we come back, we're doing another top five countdown, but this time we're focused on college finance. You won't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Connect with us and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Folks, welcome back to the show. And before we get to our final segment, we want to do a school spotlight today. And we're going to shine that spotlight on Ursinus College in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. One of my best friends went to Ursinus College, so I'm throwing her a bone here. We're going to talk about where she went. Now, there may be dozens of colleges in the Philadelphia suburbs, but Ursinus College is truly one of a kind. Highlighted as one of the colleges that change lives, Ursinus is a liberal arts college with an exceptional science and pre-health curriculum. In addition to majors in the traditional sciences, Ursinus offers interdisciplinary programs in biochemistry, molecular biology, and neuroscience too. And my friend who went there actually is a doctor now, so I, I can testify that that's, that's true. Uh, whether students take advantage of a research opportunity on campus or healthcare internships in the hospitals of Philadelphia, Science majors are guaranteed hands-on experience with state-of-the-art technology in a highly personalized setting. Get this, an amazing 75% of Ursinus students who apply to medical school are accepted. Now, a sig- signature experience at Ursinus takes place during the first year. All freshmen participate in a common intellectual experience by enrolling in small seminars that dedicate themselves to the analysis of significant works, including texts from Euripides, Freud, Darwin, and others, in order to answer philosophical questions such as, what does it mean to be human? I wonder, what does it mean to be human? Good to know, 99% of students receive some form of financial assistance at Ursinus, and the highest merit scholarship is valued at about $40,000 per year. Great news all around. All right, now we're on to our final segment of the day, and I'd like you all to welcome Michelle Richardson, who's one of our college finance experts. She's currently counting the votes in Iowa from the uh, caucus, (laughs) um, but she's agreed to take a break here uh, to talk to us about the top five things that families should be doing on the finance side. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Ian. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I know you have nothing to do with the vote counting uh, at the caucuses. Um, sorry for <laughs> sorry for that Iowa humor. Um, let's, no, I let's, think it's great. Let's get right into it. Um, we want to talk about the top five things that juniors and their family should know as they prepare to pay for college. And number five, I see, is very similar to what uh, Lauren and I just talked about as number one for admission. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say it because you're going to tell me what how this goes. So number five is to have the talk on affordability and set student expectations. What does that look like? So... I think it's really important, just as Lauren said, to sit down as a family and as you are starting to look at colleges, you really have to think about cost. And I know that talking, you know, about money, especially with your children, can be very challenging, but it is really important. Um, oftentimes, we find that families, um, and especially students, um, really have no idea what the true cost of attendance is, and oftentimes they can suffer from sticker shock. And so I think it's important if the family can sit down, um, start to look at various types of colleges, and talk about what resources the family may have to help pay for college, um, whether that's the whether they've saved with a 529 plan or um, maybe the family can look at reallocating some of the expenses that they have now while the student is still at home and putting those funds and using that cash flow to help pay for college. So just think about um, 
some of the components about college affordability as they begin to look at, at the types of colleges that they are considering. Right. And, and you'd mentioned a little bit about, um, or, or I said sort of setting student expectations is in this. I, what does that mean about student expectations? How does that sort of fit into the process as well? Um, setting student expectations, um, we put this into the affordability uh, conversation because it's really important to know what the parents are expecting from the student in relation to paying for college. So, you know, are they expecting the student to be very diligent and taking a lot of time to apply for maybe outside scholarships? Uh, do they have an expectation for the student to pay for any of the college costs? Um, do they want the student to work during the summer before they go to college and save that money and help offset the, the cost? Um, do they want them to have a work-study job or a position on, on campus? And, you know, oftentimes, too, talking with the student about do the expectation of them borrowing um, a student loan to help have some financial skin in the game. So that's how we can correlate setting expectations um, in the conversation when talking with your student about affordability. That's great. Now, as families think about affordability, you know, there's always going to be the difference between the sticker price and the net price. And, th and that's why I think you've put number four here um, is that families should run a net price calculator. Can you talk a little bit about how they might go through the process of doing that and what a net price calculator is going to calculator is going to tell them? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, oftentimes we know that and families are aware that colleges may offer merit scholarships or need-based grants. So those are ways that colleges can offer a discount towards those uh, directly billed tuition and fees. And when we talk about net price, the calculation is basically that respective college's sticker price or total cost of attendance minus any free money, such as grants or scholarships from that college, and that will equate to uh, the net price. And so that's what we mean by looking at net price. And oftentimes, families can be very surprised to know that some colleges don't offer merit scholarships, for example. Um, they might only offer uh, need-based grants. And so uh, in those instances where a net price calculator can be very helpful to a family as they are beginning to look at colleges is run a, a net price calculator, which is available on each college's website. They're mandated by the Department of Education and the Consumer Finance and Protection Bureau to have a net price calculator on their website to give families as consumers of higher education, a really better idea of what their true out-of-pocket or net price would be at that institution. Great. I think that that's, that's super helpful. Now, um, I want to move on to number three, because you're talking a little bit about school-based scholarships and financial aid. What about um, number three here you have listed is search for outside scholarships. How would students go through the process of doing that? 
Sure. So outside scholarships can also be referred to as private scholarships, and these are typically funded by different corporations or community foundations, service organizations, and we really want to stress to students and families it's never too early to start and begin that process. Um, It's very challenging for high school seniors while they are busy doing everything else for the college admission process to take the time to do a scholarship search and um, apply for scholarships. So, There are some outside scholarship search engines that can be very helpful to families. Um, Scholarships.com is one. Some families might have heard of FastWeb or uh, Big Future. Um, And a a fairly new uh, scholarship site is called GoingMary.com, and Mary is spelled M-E-R-R-Y. And so... It's important for junior students to begin that process sooner rather than later. Um, But do know it does take a significant amount of time and and diligence, and that kind of goes back to having that conversation with the family on on expectations. And so, um, but it can be very important for students to go through the scholarship search process. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how many scholarships are out there and how much time you can spend looking for scholarships. Well, I'll put one other plug in there. You mentioned some great resources. Come back to the podcast. I mean, we are quite regularly talking about new scholarships or ways to find scholarships on this show. Um, and so listening to this podcast can also fall into that number three, search for outside scholarships uh, recommendation. Um, all right. So we know college is expensive. Students and families may need to borrow or finance some of the costs if they can't get scholarships to make up that cost. So what should high school junior families do now to prepare? What's number two on our list, Michelle? Um, Number two is it's really important for families to calculate the cost of borrowing ahead of time before the student chooses their college and before they might even look at certain colleges to see uh, what that true cost of attendance will be at that college. Oftentimes, um, I've worked in this industry for many years and have been on the college campus and have had students at my door the day classes begin and they're trying to figure out how to pay for it. Um, And that's really... um, really a frantic time for everyone. And so if families can really sit down again and talk about what the expectation is of, do they want the student to borrow? Um, Are the parents going to borrow? And and kind of what their uh, budget is, if you will, um, to know how much that true cost of attendance for multiple years of college is going to cost the student and and the parent. Um, One thing we often find is families are caught off guard when they realize that the federal direct loan program, which is the only student loan program a student can obtain on their own without a co-signer, has very uh, small annual borrowing limits. So, 
Um, the maximum amount you can borrow as a freshman is 5500 So if you're looking at a college that costs 75000 or even 30000 um, to some families that can be a drop in the bucket. So there might need to be um, other ways that the family looks at financing. So they really need to look at uh, calculating that cost um, for several years to come and to do that ahead of time. All right. So that brings us now to the dramatic number one thing that a junior family needs to know at this time, which is number one, Michelle. Uh, Our number one is knowing the importance and significance of having a balanced college list. Um, Sometimes this isn't equated into the finance component, but it really is important for families to know this, especially if they want to try and maximize merit scholarship opportunities. Um, They really should look at those no problem and just right colleges if they want merit scholarship opportunities. Um, Nothing can be worse than having a, a student get into their dream school and then find out that the family can't afford to pay for it. Um, Mm -hmm. So knowing the significance of looking at those no problem and and just right schools um, in order to reduce that that overall cost and to get that net price down for the family so that college can be affordable. Yeah, and... You know, I love this as number one because I can really co-sign this as well. I mean, the balanced college list is really important on the admissions side of the ball. Um, You know, we want to make sure that students have opportunities to make choices at the end of the process so that they can select schools from among a number that have admitted them. And that's where balance comes into play on our side. But I also think, as you're saying, Michelle, balance in that list is going to allow a family to feel comfortable to say, hey, you you know, we've got some good financial offers as well. We can actually consider these schools. Um, What about, does the balance list also connect to the concept of negotiation? I mean, I know that's a big topic, but is is a balance list also helpful in the negotiation process? That's um, a great uh, point. And you know, the answer to that is absolutely. So, um, you know, we work with families, um, especially this time of year and in the next, you know, couple months about trying to leverage other uh, merit scholarship opportunities from like institutions to try and maximize those merit scholarships and perhaps um, have the institution up the ante and uh, increase the initial merit scholarship. So that negotiation process or award reconsideration process really goes hand in hand with having a balanced list. That's great. So we've got number five is to have the talk about student expectations and affordability. Number four, run a net price calculator. Number three, search for outside scholarships. Number two, calculate the cost of borrowing ahead of time. And number one, know the importance and significance of creating a balanced college list. Michelle, thank you so much for putting that top five together and and bringing that to our families today. Absolutely, Ian. It was my pleasure. Great. So that's all we have for today. I want to thank all of my guests, Megan, Lauren, Michelle, for their perspective and insight on our show 
Next week, we'll be welcoming the Executive Director for International Admission at Marist College to the show, and he's going to be sharing his best tips for international students who are applying to U.S. colleges. So I know we've got a lot of international listeners out there. You're going to want to make sure that you download the show uh, next week. We'll also be taking some time to answer your questions, which you can send to us, as always, at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And don't forget to give us a rating on Apple iTunes. All right, the clock is ticking. Less than 24 hours to Valentine's Day. Be sure to give your loved ones exactly the kind of recognition they hope to get tomorrow and enjoy seeing that love reflected right back at you. Have a wonderful Valentine's Day and a great long weekend. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.